Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning on this dreary October morning. I almost said afternoon. It's morning. Uh, welcome to Theological Equipping Class. Uh, we today are diving into how to be kingdom-minded. What does that even mean? We're going to find out in just a second. Let me pray first, and then we will dive into our uh, class this morning. Let's pray. Father, you have ransomed for yourself people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. There is no square centimeter of this entire cosmos that is not yours. You are the God of all time. You are the God of everywhere. And Father, as we consider your kingdom and what it means to be kingdom-minded, we pray you would ex expand our horizons, God. You would not let us fixate on this small little work here in McKinney, Texas. You would lift our eyes to what you were doing around the world. Father, we pray that you would shape and mold us, rid us of self-centeredness, rid us of any kind of tribalism, any kind of sinful tribalism, rid us of foolishness. Father, use just this little class to those ends. Uh, uh, we pray, God, that your spirit would move in our hearts to convict of sin uh, and to help us to rejoice more and more in Christ. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Uh, well, we are today uh, continuing our series in our new church mission statement, which is as follows. The Parkway Church exists a big deal. We exist for this reason. It exists to glorify God. Pretty awesome reason to exist. How do we do that? By making disciples of Jesus Christ who delight in him, display his love to one another, and declare him to the world. So our, the goal of this teaching this morning my exhortation to all of you is to go and be Catholic. Nobody rusts the stage. We have, we have taught you so poorly. If, you, if I say go be Catholic and no one's like, you know, pitchfork and, uh, you know, torches, let's run this guy out of town. I was waiting for it. I've been longing for that my whole life uh, and you've robbed me of it. Thank you. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding, uh, but not kidding. Uh, the goal of this teaching is to exhort you all to go and be Catholic, but I mean that in uh, the sense of little c Catholic, not Roman Catholic, which would be a, a capital C. So this is something Christians have confessed for centuries. Look at the Nicene Creed, uh, 381. I think that's actually, that's Niceno-Constantinopolitan. Yeah, Nicaea is 323. Jared's the church history guy. Anyway, this is, this has been, church, Christians have been saying this for a long time. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We believe in a Catholic church. Notice the little C there because the word Catholic originally uh, didn't just refer to Roman Catholicism. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, Catholikos, that I have there for you, which means whole or universal. So it's, it's this reference to uh, all the people of God from all time in all places. It's this, it's this collective kind of word. The universal church is how we typically refer to that. So actually, in fact, 
it, the, word, the phrase Roman Catholic doesn't really make any sense. You can't be Roman and Catholic at the same time because Roman confines the church and Catholic universalizes the church. So it'd be like saying the McKinney church of all the world. That doesn't make any sense. The McKinney's here in Texas, right? The, the McKinney church of all the world, that means nothing. So Roman Catholic uh, doesn't actually work together as a phrase. I don't want us to be Roman, but as I said, the, the purpose of this class this morning is to convince us all to be Catholic. Our aim is to pursue a biblical Catholicity. Uh, the term uh, for that uh, in kind of more evangelical circles like ours, because we don't like using the word Catholic, uh, is kingdom-mindedness. That's what I'm talking about when I say kingdom-mindedness. I have a definition here for you. What do we mean by this biblical Catholicity, this kingdom-mindedness? It means caring more about the success of the church than this church. Kingdom-mindedness means caring more about the success of the church than this church. Now, you'll notice my capitalization there is intentional. This is a common way to, to differentiate between the universal, lowercase c, capital church is with a capital C. I know it's confusing, right? Little c, Catholic, means capital C, church. What, is it? what are we even talking about today? This is so confusing. But this is the way theologians have decided to do this. So uh, if you see in your notes, for the most part, unless it's a proper noun, like the Parkway Church, if you see a lowercase c, no, actually, I just realized I didn't do this. Dang it, I messed up. Oh, well. Lowercase c is supposed to mean local churches, Capital C is supposed to mean universal church. I already see a typo in my notes. So you're just going to have to try to pay attention and figure out what I'm talking about because it's already a mess. That's okay. Uh, first, though, I do want to ask all of you, why is this important? Why in the world should we even care about this universality, uh, this kingdom-mindedness for the church? Isn't the goal of any business, any organization, its own success? So why should we care more about the success of the church everywhere than just the Parkway Church? What do you think? Who's talking? Al, there you are. It, so we have the same head, you're saying, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, one body, absolutely. We are one body, objectively, totally. We're going to talk more about that. Why else? Why, why should we care more about the success of the church than this church? We're so limited. It's hard for us. Let's just, I'll use Jared as an example since he spoke up. It's hard for Jared to, to pastor the saints of Ethiopia. It's difficult. He has limited bandwidth. He's got great bandwidth. Nothing against Jared. But all the Christians in Ethiopia would probably be difficult for him to shepherd while he's pastoring the Parkway Church, right? So we're limited, totally. Other reasons? Other reasons why the universal church should take priority over just the local church. Yes. Guess what? If Parkway closes its doors next Sunday, Jesus is still going to have his bride. It's not going to stop. 
We get to be a part of it. We'll talk more about this. And I hope that doesn't happen. I don't expect it to happen. Don't worry. But Parkway could cease to exist. There's many churches throughout history that have existed for a time and then stopped. And the church, the capital C church, keeps marching on because the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. We've hit on a lot of the ones just kind of quickly that came to my mind. So yeah, our location, we're limited. We're bound by where we are, by where we are. The kingdom of God is not. Our mission, I think we've kind of alluded to this as well. We're not in some competition with every other church in the world so that Parkway gets to be the best. We have the same mission as them, if not every other church in the world, every other faithful gospel preaching church in the world, yes. Uh, And then, yeah, our success, Christ's purposes for the church are guaranteed, even if Parkway ceases to exist. Uh, Yeah, our, our witness, right, our ability to evangelize across borders is limited. Uh, But if we are for the kingdom of God and not just Parkway Church, uh, we actually will see uh, the gospel go across borders that it otherwise would not. So we're going to hit on a lot of those things. That's just kind of to wet our beak a little bit and get a sense of this, uh, the purpose for this tech. Uh, Now to kind of set a foundation for us, we're going to do some theological work uh, talking about ecclesiology. So ecclesiology is the fancy word for theology about the church, uh, the Greek word ekklesia, uh, which actually shows up in our sermon passage this morning. Uh, The word ekklesia means church. And so ecclesiology is theology about the church. So uh, theologically, we can speak of the church, capital C, and churches, lowercase c. Uh, Here's how this works. Uh, Very, very important question what is my favorite fast food restaurant? Cane's. You guys love me and I love you. It's great. Raising Cane's is my favorite fast food restaurant. Next question. Where is Cane's? Three eighty and 75. Faith Jones, a thousand points for Gryffindor. Great job. Uh, Three eighty and 75. Where else is Cane's? You guys... I love, I love that you know where Keynes is, right? Are, is, is, is Caroline or is Faith right? Both, right? Uh, we could also say Keynes is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because that's where their headquarters is, right? So like we, we could say Keynes is in all of these places and in also one of these places. Uh, we could say all of the above because there is a local Keynes where we refer to one location and it is Keynes. It's not just part of Keynes, it is Keynes. Or we could refer to the universal Canes, which would be Canes everywhere. Every Canes is both a Canes in itself, a local Canes, and part of the universal Canes. And that is the true also of the church. The Bible talks about the church in both a local and a universal sense. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing to just the Corinthian church. And he says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ. You're not just part of the body of Christ, Corinthian church. You are by yourselves as a whole, the Corinthian church, a complete instantiation of the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, Corinthian church. So the Bible talks about local churches as their own, their own self-existent kind of thing. They are, they are their own body. So the Parkway Church is a local church, but the Bible also talks about the church in universal or Catholic terms, which is all Christians of all times in all places. Ephesians 5, 
Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ did not just love the Parkway Church and give himself up for her. Christ did not just love the Corinthian church and give himself up for her. Christ died for all Christians of all time in all places. And so that is the basis on which we can speak of both a a local and a universal church. Why do I spend time talking about that? I mean, we're all usually probably familiar with that kind of language. Why do I bother? Well, because kingdom-mindedness is not just, you know, man, wouldn't it be cool if we and another church in town did something together, wouldn't that be cool? Or, or it's not just, you know, pragmatic. Man, if we and, you know, Zoe Church and Allen pooled our resources, we could do something together because we have more money that way, right? And it's not just a pragmatic thing. It, the, the universality of the kingdom of God, the, the reality of the capital C church is an objective reality in the eyes of God. So it's, uh, yes, we are our own body. Other churches can't send their elders here and tell us what to do, right? Uh, other churches don't have to submit to our church covenant. But the oneness of the capital C church is a reality we must embrace with more than just lip service. It's something that actually exists. Christ died for the universal church. So as Christians have confessed for centuries, again, the Nicene Creed, We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. There is one church, and there are many churches. So to fill out our understanding, we need to know why we believe that. Biblically, this will be brief. I don't want to spend too much time because I think you get the point. But why is the church Catholic? What makes the church universal, this universal reality? And the first answer is very simply our God. Our God. 1 Timothy 1.17, he's called the king of ages. He's the Lord of all time. Joshua chapter 3, he's called the Lord of all the earth. I love that one in particular. That one's so cool because uh, the Israelites are coming into the promised land in Joshua, right? And God calls himself the Lord of all the earth. It's like he's saying, hey, I'm giving you this little patch of dirt right here. Uh, but don't, don't get any kind of thinking that, you know, uh, I'm a local deity and I'm just the God of this little patch of dirt in the Middle East. I'm the Lord of the whole earth. The whole thing is mine. I'm just giving you this little bit because I like you, okay? That, that's what God is, is saying there. He's the God, he's the Lord of all time and of all places. So our God himself is the first and primary reason why we can talk about this universal church. But there's also just the reality of his promises to us, his purposes for us. Romans chapter four. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. God promised Abraham he would be heir of the entire world. What's the problem with with that claim Paul's making in Romans 4? I won't actually ask you that. This isn't a guessing game. I don't want you to just read my mind. The problem is God didn't quite promise Abraham that. God promised Abraham Canaan right? Genesis 17, he says, look, lift up your eyes. This is the land I'm giving you. But Paul says, actually, God's plan all along was that Abraham and his his offspring, which we know from Romans 4, is all those who share the faith of Abraham, would be heirs of the entire world. 
So God's plans, his promises, his purposes for his people are not these tiny little things sequestered off in some part of the world. They are global. He has promised us the world. And that comes in concert with the great promises that the people of God come from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You see that in Revelation chapter 5. The gospel is for everyone. The universality of the church exists because the gospel is for everyone. Not everyone without exception. We're not universalists, but everyone without distinction. There is no tribe. There is no people. There is no tongue. There is no nation from which there will not be someone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is not just interested with Christians in America. He's interested with Christians in Southeast Asia, in North Africa, in the Middle East, and everywhere else because his purpose for his church is to be gathered from all the peoples of the earth. So in short, why can we talk about the Catholicity, the universality of the church, even though we're not Roman Catholics? Why can we talk about that? Well, very simply, because our God is bigger than this little thing we're doing right here. And his promises to us are far greater than this little thing we've got right now. And that is unbelievably important to grasp because The world in general, the world is just full of factionalizing and tribalism, and it's totally infected the church. The church is also full of tribalism. So we we build, you know, ecosystems around our tribe, and we think everyone else is just dumb, right? Like, we listen to these podcasts. We listen to these, or read these authors. We listen to these preachers. We read these books. We, we have this publisher, right? We go to these conferences. Everyone else who isn't in this really kind of ecosystem of ours is highly suspicious. We don't trust them. But the universality of the church simply won't let us do that. It won't let us be tribal Christians. It won't let us be Parkway only Christians. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to be careful. There's real false teaching out there. Some of the, I guess, tribalism does come from a a healthy kind of, I trust these guys. They have a track record of biblical faithfulness. Like, we give you guys a million Nine Marks books because Nine Marks is a great publisher that publishes a lot of really solid things that we trust. We're not just, you know, we're not, we don't want to just only be in that ecosystem, but we, we know they have a great track record. So knowing who to trust isn't bad. There's false teaching out there. But if the capital C church really is a thing and Christ has paid with his blood for saints from every tribe, tongue, people, and na- nation, then the kingdom of God is bigger than just us, than just our tribe, and we, we must live like that is true. We must live like that is true. All right, one more foundational question before we get to kind of the main subject of our time. We need to put some definition to the task. This will be helpful as we think about how to be kingdom-minded. Uh, what is the mission of the church? What is our mission? Well, I'm going to give away a book at the end. We've actually given it away before that answers that question very robustly. Uh, but for now, I think we can just stick with a very simple, basic answer that Jesus gives in Matthew 28. As he's leaving, he's about to ascend into heaven, he gives his disciples a mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
Now, I, think I've, I think I've done this before in a tech handout. I'm not, I don't quite remember. I may have. Uh, but I've put some arrows to show you what the main imperative is in that sentence. So I won't bore you with the Greek syntax, but basically how it works is there's three subordinate commands and there's one main command. It's very clear. And the three subordinate commands kind of explain how to do the main command. So the main command I have underlined, make disciples. And the three subordinate commands are all, we have an arrow next to them, going, baptizing, and teaching. So those are kind of the three elements of making disciples. There's pre-conversion work, right? Going, preaching the gospel, telling unbelievers about Christ. There's conversion work, baptizing, seeing people uh, commit their lives to Jesus. And there's post-conversion work of teaching. People need to be educated. They need to understand how to obey what Jesus has commanded. In light of their newfound faith in the Messiah, how ought they live? So if we want to be kingdom-minded, we need to make sure we're, we're, we're clear on what kingdom work is. And Matthew 28 sets that out for us. It charts the course. This is kingdom work. All right, so now the meat of our time. How to be kingdom-minded. How do we live this out? Well, first, and this is, I mean, honestly, the main point of this whole morning, how to be kingdom-minded, centralize the gospel. Centralize the gospel. It is no coincidence that Ephesians 5.25, which I quoted earlier, which talks about Christ's love for his church, his atoning death on behalf of the church. It's one of the primary verses where we see the church spoken, out, spoken of in a universal sense, right? Because that's, the gospel is the fundamental basis of the church's unity, the gospel of Christ, because Christ is the basis, right? So we're not united to Zoe Community Church in Allen because their pastor Jesse preached here once. And we thought that was cool. And so now we're friends. No, we're not united with uh, Faith Bible Church in McKinney because uh, their pastor's an Aggie and Jared spent like five minutes at A&M, right? Like, so we have some connection. No, we're united with the universal church, first and foremost, on the basis of our shared redemption in Christ and the fact that we proclaim the same gospel of Christ. This is the heart behind uh, a lot. There, I feel like within the last 20 years, there's been this big push for gospel centrality. So things like the Gospel Coalition were born, uh, conferences like Together for the Gospel, uh, things that uh, really were, were trying to orient the church, the capital C church, around what is most central to us, the gospel. So if you're not familiar with uh, like Together for the Gospel, it's my favorite conference I've ever been to in my life. It's so encouraging. Uh, basically how it started is there's four dudes, Mark Dever, uh, C.J. Mahaney, Ligon Duncan, and Al Moeller, who are just best friends. And two of them are Baptists, one's a charismatic, uh, and one's a Presbyterian. And they're best friends, and they believe the same gospel. So they said, you know what, we actually can't be in church together because, you know, someday a baby's going to be born and the Presbyterian's going to say, sprinkle it. Or someday, you know, we're going to be gathering and the Charismatic's going to start talking in tongues or something. Like, like, we can't be in a church together, but we love each other and we share the same gospel. So they put on a conference together around that shared gospel, the thing that is most important in light of 1 Corinthians 15, which is actually where we get that language of, of first importance. So look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing Paul preached was the gospel. What I also received, which is this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
Paul thinks there's nothing more important, more central than the gospel, more valuable than the gospel, this message of Christ slain for sinners. And that's actually the message of Jesus himself. He talks about the gospel of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God revolves around the gospel of God. So the best way to be kingdom-minded is to be gospel-minded, to centralize and focus on the gospel. So this is another way. There's three elements that we're going through this semester in tech. Delight, display, declare. This is just another way we see that they all kind of flow into each other. So it starts with our delight. We, we treasure the gospel. We rejoice in our salvation. It flows then to our display. We remind each other of the gospel. There's no more encouraging word we can give to one another than the message of the gospel. And it sends us out into the world with our declaration of the gospel as we uh, try to evangelize our coworkers, as we try to encourage other churches around our city. It all flows from the gospel. If the gospel is at the center of our lives, kingdom-mindedness will flow from it. We won't feel this, this competition. I think so much of the anti-kingdom-mindedness, although no one would use that language, uh, but, but the kind of tribalism comes from a, a failure, or, or from this idea that like, we're in competition with other churches. Right? Like, like uh, if, if Faith Bible gets revival and we don't, oh, that'd be such a bummer. That's not a bummer. Faith Bible preaches the gospel that we preach. I pray for their revival. If God sends it to them, that's great. Uh, in, in World War II, the, the United States celebrated every British victory because we had the same mission. We were on the same team. Like no Brit was ever complaining, you know, oh man, the, you know, I'm not going to do a British accent because it would offend all of you. Uh, but no Brit ever said, you know, the Yanks beat us to, you know, clear out the concentration camp. Man, I'm so bummed. No, right? Same mission, same team. In the same way, if any church whose mission is making disciples of Christ through the gospel, Matthew 28, any church who shares that mission is also, is, is ultimately with us. Is ultimately with us. We're going to talk about theology in actually two seconds, but we have to start there. We have to centralize the gospel as a church. And if we do that, we will abandon any kind of tribalism or any kind of parkway or nothing mentality that we might have. So that's, that's the first and most important thing. Keep the gospel central. But second, we must be serious about theology. We must be serious about theology to be kingdom-minded. Now, uh, for many people, uh, what I just said about centralizing the gospel is totally incompatible with everything I'm about to say about being kingdom or about uh, being serious about theology. Right, there's this common assumption: mission unites, theology divides. Ugh, we hate theology, but mission, you know, central, great, and it should be central. But theology, it divides. Man, it's just a source of you know back pain and strife in the church. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I was on staff at another church out in Lubbock. Uh, and there were several churches in our area that were trying to put on this uh, kind of worship, this joint worship gathering. So they wanted to, I think, rent out a football stadium and get like basically all the churches in town together for this one joint unity celebration. This, you know, we are together uh, because whatever. Well, I will explain, I'll explain what the problems were in a second. 
And that's a great idea. There's nothing wrong with that. Churches getting together to, to worship and, and share some kind of unity, that's great. That does reflect the kingdom-mindedness we're talking about. But our senior pastor went to an informational meeting a few months ahead of time, and he, he asked what I think is a pretty obvious question. He said, is there any kind of shared statement of faith for all the churches participating? Is there any kind of doctrinal convictions we're saying, this is, this is who can come, this is what we're about? And he got a response, and the guy said, Jesus. We're just uniting around Jesus. And the problem, of course, is Muslims believe in Jesus. They believe he was a prophet. Mormons believe in Jesus. They would actually say he's the central figure of their theology. They just don't believe he's the second person of the Trinity. Anyone can say, Jesus, what matters is which Jesus we're talking about. We have to do theology. We have to define which Jesus we mean because the Jesus of Islam is not the real Jesus. The Jesus of Mormonism is not the real Jesus to define the real Jesus and therefore to pursue kingdom-mindedness. We have to do theology. We have to, we have to articulate what exactly we're talking about. So if, if the UK and the US defined victory differently in World War II, they're not on the same team. They, I mean, if they define victory differently, they're not on the same team. Definitions matter. So to be kingdom-minded, we must be robustly theologically-minded. Uh, in 2 John, <coughs> in 2 John, John is he's warning against these false teachers that are going around, potentially even from his own church, people who've left his church because uh, they don't like what he's teaching and that he, they're teaching false doctrine. And he makes a theological statement. He says, you want to know who these false teachers are? They are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So in other words, he's defining this is who the real Jesus is. This is the Jesus I'm talking about, the one who came in the flesh. This is a common first and second century, even further, heresy called Gnosticism, this denial that Jesus came in the flesh. So he's doing theological work in order to say, here's, what the, here's where the kingdom is. They're outside of it. They're not part of it. We must do theological work in order to be kingdom Minded, And it's not just about defining Jesus in the gospel. We need theology to draw lines around other areas of biblical truth too. Uh, I'm going to talk about how to do that in a, a little bit, but I just want to say very simply, very clearly, theology really does matter. It really does matter. We must be theologically attentive. There's, there's a common idea today that we must downplay theological convictions in order to upplay mission and the reality is that falls apart every time. It falls apart every time. So that leads into the next thing. The third thing of being kingdom-minded is where we'll get some answers to some of the questions I've alluded to already. Share the mission. Cooperate wisely. To be kingdom-minded, we should share the mission. We'll spend a, a good portion of time here. Uh, here's, here's really good news that we've already said. The success of the kingdom of God across the world is not tied to the success of the Parkway Church. Again, if Parkway closes its doors next Sunday, the kingdom of God, God will
will continue marching on. The gospel will not be stopped. In fact, the success of the kingdom of God in McKinney doesn't even depend on Parkway. All right, we, we get to play a role in it by God's grace. And, and I think that's awesome. And I love that. But there are, there are other local churches, even if, even if we do almost nothing, there are other local churches who can do that work, but by God's grace, in light of the Catholicity of the church, we can cooperate with other churches in order to do the kingdom work Jesus calls us to. So cooperation is a very clear way to be kingdom-minded, to share the load. So in 3 John, the apostle is writing to a church, not his own church, and he's asking the church he's writing to, to join his church in supporting some missionaries. Look at this, 3 John. He tells them, send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, so missionaries, church planters, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we, your church and my church, ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John is inviting another church to cooperate, to, to share the mission. It's interesting, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, I think I've shared this in Q&A a few weeks ago, actually. The Southern Baptist Convention was partially uh, born out of this desire for cooperation. There were other reasons SBC got started, a lot of them not great, such as support for slavery. They've repented of that. It's great. But one of the reasons the SBC was born was this cooperative support for missionaries and church planters. So historically what happened was there's all these little churches throughout the South, you know, and, and they're like, man, by ourselves, we, we can't like support financially and educate and train a missionary. But if all these churches just give a little bit of their resources and pool them together, they can start this thing, the SBC, that can do that work, right? So they can cooperate together. They can share the load. It's a great example of kingdom-mindedness, working together with other lowercase c churches for the good of the capital C church. And we too could do that. We're not a part of any denomination right now, but this is something we could just even do with, like uh, I was thinking, uh, remember Jesse from Zoe Church who preached here a few weeks ago. If they wanted to send out a missionary, I'd probably be like, hey, can we can we talk about this? Maybe we could cooperate. Maybe we could financially support them with you. Maybe we could help with equipping them. Maybe we could house them when they're back on furlough. Like maybe we could share the mission with you. So uh, with cooperation though, you run into, obviously, this is what I've been alluding to. You run into a really big question. Who can we cooperate with? Who can we cooperate with? Could we, the Parkway Church, cooperate with the PCUSA Church that's just down the street? that has a female pastor and affirms LGBT couples. Could we cooperate with them? The answer is no. Good job. It wasn't actually a question, but good work. Uh, could we cooperate with a Pentecostal church that spends most of their worship service, maybe, this is a over, you know, gross characterization, uh, that spends most, most of the worship service speaking in tongues? How do we decide who we can work with. Well, I have a chart here for you in your notes. I'm going to draw it on here too because we're going to do a little exercise. Uh, but we have to do theological triage. So the triage, if you're not familiar, it, I think it's originated from the medical community. Uh, triage refers to uh, order of importance. So uh, if someone comes into the emergency room, 
Two people come into the emergency room, right? There's one guy who's got a cough and one guy who's got a gunshot wound. And they come in at the same time. Triage dictates, okay, cough guy, you're going to wait. You'll be all right. Gunshot wound guy, get him in right now. We got to treat this, right? So triage dictates the order of priority, the order of importance. It says, here's where the priority lies. So theological triage is about what doctrines are of theological priority, where to rank different doctrines of the faith. So we believe a lot of things, but not everything is a hill to die on. That's actually another problem in our world today. People think everything is a hill to die on, and that's not the case. So there are some things, again, this would be very familiar to, I think, a lot of you. I've, I've definitely mentioned this uh, in a couple contexts, but uh, there are some things that are written in blood, meaning where you stand on that issue, what your answer is to those questions determines whether or not you are really a Christian. There are some things written in pen, meaning Christians can disagree about them. They can have different views. It's not gonna mean you're not, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you don't agree with me, but we, we couldn't be in a church together. We couldn't share in the same worship service. And there are some things that are written in pencil, which doesn't mean they're irrelevant, but they, they should not ultimately be a cause for separation or division. So generally speaking, things written in pencil are worth talking about. Things written in pen are worth fighting for. And things written in blood are those things worth dying for. So again, we're going to do a little exercise. This might be dangerous. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to name a doctrine, and you're going to help me put it on the map. Again, dangerous. Uh, you're, you're just going to say pen, pencil, or blood, where you think the doctrine goes, right? So uh, let's start off with the Trinity. Good job. Well done. Uh, anyone want to tell me why you think the Trinity is in blood? Why is that something that separates Christians from non-Christians? It's who God, who said that, Christian or Dan? Carol? Brett? Oh, my goodness. Just going down the line. Uh, yeah, it's who God is. It's the identity of our God. It's so fundamental to who he is. Other reasons why the Trinity is written in blood? Thoughts? What? I thought I heard something. This is true. Yeah, so Muslims deny the Trinity. Totally. Mormons deny the Trinity. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that are important. Biblical clarity. Remember I read the Great Commission? Baptizing them in the, singular, name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hang on. Jesus, you said the, and then you gave us three names. Trinity. Okay, I get it. So it's so clear in the Bible. And Jesus is supposed to be worshipped. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be worshipped. The Father is supposed to be worshipped. And yet there's one God who's supposed to be worshipped. The language we use to talk about that is the Trinity. So biblical clarity. Also, part of this uh, historicity. The church has confessed this since the very beginning. This is a fight that was fought a long, long time ago. So people who are denying that, are uh, not Christians if you don't believe in the Trinity. How about this? Your millennial view. <laughs> Brett? Pen. Who said pen? Dan, why is that? Because it makes a big difference as far as shepherding the flock consistently if there's a, a big, um, if, if there's differences. Fair enough. I actually would put this in pencil 
But I, hear, I agree with part of what Dan is saying. Here's what I mean. I'm sorry to disagree with you publicly, Dan. Actually, I love it. Um, if I just said the word eschatology, where would we put it? I don't know where to put eschatology because eschatology is a huge category. So maybe it was actually unhelpful for me to say your millennial view because eschatology, here's an eschatological doctrine. Jesus is coming back. That's blood, okay? If you don't think Jesus is coming back, you're not a Christian, right? But something like millennial view, parts of it, hey, well, how do you read Revelation 20? I'm, okay, I'm putting that here. I think there are several ways to understand, I don't know if I spelled millennial right, but anyway, uh, there are several ways to understand uh, uh, Revelation 20. But if you're talking about specific things like what is, uh, what is the work of the gospel? That can be, your millennial view is, is, or not the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom. Is it necessarily gospel work or does it include these other maybe social kind of things? Ooh, now we're getting into difficulty, right? So that I would put in pen, right? So this is the hard thing about the triage, right? Different parts of it are, might be in different categories. So I gave us a bad one. Uh, thank you, Dan, for embarrassing me publicly. Uh, let's do another one. This shouldn't be too hard. The authority of the Bible. Blood, good job. Anyone want to tell me why? It's the foundation of our faith. This is true. Any other thoughts? It's what? It's God's word. I thought you said it's kind of important. And I was like, that's okay. Yes, it's God's word. We believe God has spoken it. Right? If someone doesn't share the same view of the Bible's authority as us, they must not actually believe God spoke it. So it's written in blood. How about this one? Baptizing babies, pedo-baptism, versus baptizing believers, credo-baptism. I heard a bunch of awkward whispers. Pen, thank you. Yes, totally. Baptism. Anyone want to tell me why? Why does that separate Christians from other Christians? I'll just tell you. What, are you going to say something? Who's talking? Brett? What'd you say? Yeah, for sure. Because the reality is, someday a baby's going to be born. And what do we do with it, right? You know what I mean? A pedo-baptist says, you must baptize it. And a credo-baptist says, that's sin. Don't baptize it. Don't tell a member of the, or someone who's not a member of the covenant, they're a member of the covenant. That's foolish, right? Totally. Uh, how about this? Calvinism, Arminianism. Wow. Wow. That's fun. I'm putting that in pen. I'm putting that in pen. You don't have to agree with me. Uh, actually, I think you should. Um, I have Armenian friends who I think totally misunderstand parts of the Bible. But similar to pedo-baptism, you don't deny the authority of the Bible to get to those conclusions. You... I think misunderstand parts of the Bible, but you don't deny the Bible. So that'll actually get cleared up with this next one. Where would you put this one? Affirming LGBT couples as a church. Where would you put that? Bread is so right. You put it in blood. It sounds like, oh, that's such a, that's not like a doctrine, like, you know, the Trinity. How could it be in blood? Here's why. Because the Bible is in the center. If, if, you, not if, 
to get to a theological position where you affirm LGBT lifestyles, you must necessarily deny the authority of the Bible. You can't get there without, it's not a misunderstanding, it is an inherent denial of the authority of scriptures. We could do a lot more, but that, I just wanted to kind of get, get that in your mind. It's super helpful to have these concentric circles. So how do we apply this to kingdom cooperation? Here's, here's the big point that I'm driving towards with all this. The nature of the work we're cooperating on determines the level of agreement we need. The nature of the work we're cooperating on determines the level of agreement that we need. So uh, when Hurricane Harvey blew through Houston, uh, again, my church in Lubbock, we sent a team to Houston to help with disaster relief. I was on that team and we were housed by a church I would not encourage any of you to attend. I did not like this church. Not because, you know, I don't know, there was... It was lame or whatever, or because the music wasn't cool enough, uh, but because their doctrine I had major concerns about. But we were doing disaster relief. It actually wasn't Matthew 28 work. And so I wasn't like, whoa, we can't cooperate. We have different theology. I don't care what their doctrine of election is or whatever. Like, like we're, 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 I'm picking up garbage and putting it over here, right? This isn't Matthew 28 work. What about this? If Redeemer Presbyterian Church in town wanted to do a, a joint evangelistic work with Parkway, could we do that? I think yes. Redeemer is the, the solid Presbyterian Church in town. Actually, this past week I read their statement of faith uh, and I agreed with a lot of it. It was great. I didn't agree about baptism, but that's okay. Uh, I actually think, uh, I asked Jared this and the answer was yes. Could we let their lead pastor guest preach here? Yes. We wouldn't give him a passage on baptism. <laughs> Duh, right? But we could be blessed by his preaching of the word, right? We couldn't plan a church together, but doing something like evangelistic together would work. All right, that's, that's all the big picture stuff. I, that whole thing took way longer than I was planning because I love that chart. I think it's very important. But we'll, we'll move along a little faster now, all right, other ways to be kingdom-minded. Everything I've given you is maybe a little dramatic, a kind of big-picture principle. Prioritize the gospel. Be serious about theology. Share the mission, right? These are, I think, more practical, a little more hands-on. Uh, so uh, next, another way to be kingdom-minded, lift up and learn from faithful churches. Uh, that is what we see Paul doing. Uh, actually, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, that is what we see Paul doing there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. He tells the Thessalonians he's been boasting about them to other churches. He's been lifting them up. Hey, this is an example to follow. They're awesome. This is great. Uh, another way to lift up is encourage churches. That's actually uh, yeah, another way. That's what Paul's doing. Uh, I was on vacation in Charleston a few years ago, uh, and we, went to, we, we had to just visited a church there. And it was a sweet, great church. I was so encouraged. Uh, they had their intern preach the Sunday we were there. It's always like, yeah, the intern always preaches when you're a guest somewhere, but whatever. He did a great job. And so I emailed the church and I said, I was so encouraged. One, that you had your intern preach. You don't feel this like, it must only be the lead guy all the time, right? That was encouraging. But he just also handled the word so faithfully. 
And so I, I shared that with them. I encouraged them. I want you to know that. I wanted to lift them up and encourage them about that. There's, there's many churches that we can lift up and learn from. Next, we need to see and celebrate the success of other churches. Man, it is so easy if you just focus on the church, the state of Christianity in America, it is so easy to get frustrated. It's so easy to be a downer, right? We got problems. Pragmatism, theological liberalism, hostility increasing towards a biblical worldview. Those, these things are not great. It's easy to get frustrated. But that is an incredibly myopic view of the kingdom of God. It's so myopic. Because Christianity is exploding in Africa, Latin America, and in Asia. In fact, one estimate I was reading this week, one estimate from the current data is that by the year 2050, four in 10 Christians in the world will live in sub-Saharan Africa. Because the gospel is exploding there. So just because we aren't the center of global Christianity, big whoop, right? Who cares where the center is? Right? We want to be about the kingdom wherever it is. Right? So what are we frustrated about? We need to see, we need to get our eyes off of just here and the frustrations we have here and see the work God is doing around the world. And we need to celebrate that. We need to be thankful for the global success of the gospel. Jared's uh, favorite dead guy, Robert Murray McShane, uh, uh, prayed as a pastor, prayed for years for revival in his church. And then he left go be a missionary, and God brought revival to the next guy who filled his pulpit. And guess what? He praised God because it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his own ministry, his own kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean, you know, Parkway's ministry is irrelevant or anything like that. We should uh, kind of have this, you know, primary focus on our own church. Our, our own special duty is towards your fellow church members here who you've covenanted together with, to gather with, to encourage, to love, to bear burdens. Your focus should be here. But you're also part of churches in the Dallas area. So see and celebrate what God is doing. Again, if God sends revival to Faith Bible or to City Church in Melissa, we will praise God. And we also need to have this vision of God's global work around the world, celebrate God's work everywhere. Uh, and then in light of maybe if you're learning, you study about the global church, do this next thing, pray. Pray for the kingdom of God around the world. Paul commands us, Ephesians 6, make supplication for all the saints. Just as our eyes tend to be self-centered on what we see around us, our prayers typically are too. Pray for the church in America. Pray for Parkway more than any other church you pray for. Pray for Parkway. This is your church. But pray for God's work around the world too. Pray for those emerging churches, emerging churches in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America. Pray for their faithfulness because unhealth will creep in there too. False teachers will creep in there and pray for their faithfulness. Pray for their endurance. Pray for ways to support and encourage them as they carry the torch of the gospel into the next generations. And then final way to be kingdom-minded I have for us here, sacrifice for other churches slash the church. Uh, about five years ago, uh, again, my church in Lubbock, I've been talking about that a lot this morning, I don't know why, uh, but I was on staff at a tiny little church just outside Lubbock, uh, and the pastoral staff consisted of me and the senior pastor. 
just, just the two of us. And uh, I started to think the Lord might be calling me to seminary. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I really felt burdened. And so I sat down with our senior pastor one night uh, and I said, what do you think about me going to seminary? And he took like two seconds and said, I think it's a good idea. And it's hard to communicate to you how big of a deal that was because he was saying 50% of my pastoral staff is going to leave. I'm, he's going to bear a serious burden with me gone because there's no seminaries I'm going to go to in Lubbock. So he not only would have to carry the load for however long that I had been carrying, but he would have to do the work, find a replacement. And obviously no one's as amazing as me. Just kidding. But it would be a big sacrifice for him. And he said yes right away because he believed that his loss would be kingdom gain. He, he believed that the church needs more young, seminary-educated guys going out into the world. And if that meant he had to make a sacrifice, he was willing to do that. And even when I was on staff at that church, uh, in the, the, about the year before I left, I kind of was planning to leave already. Everyone was new. They, they started paying for me to start some online seminary and allotted 10 hours of my work week towards that. They did not reap any of the benefits from that. They knew I was leaving, but they believed someday Lee in his ministry, wherever he goes, the church he's at, Parkway being that church, will benefit from this. So we think our loss is kingdom gain. I don't mean to use myself as an example, obviously there, but we need to have this mindset of, of being willing to make sacrifices in our own church, in our own lives, for the sake of the kingdom of God elsewhere. Whether that means sending out guys we love to seminary, whether that means sending out members and elders to church plant, whether that means sending out missionaries to the nations. If we're kingdom-minded, we'll feel the pain. We will necessarily feel the pain of letting people we love go for the gain of the kingdom. Uh, yeah, we actually do have a few minutes. I'll, I'll do this. Uh, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. Obviously, sending people away is a big sacrifice. But just think about this. Jared has preached at Zoe Church twice, I believe. So those weeks leading up to Jared preaching there, who paid Jared's salary? You did. And Zoe got the benefit, right? Zoe was blessed through Jared's preaching, the work he put in that week to prepare a sermon. And Parkway pays his salary. And no one should ever complain about that. That's kingdom gain. That's, that's a blessing to another church. Jesse served our church through preaching the word and his church pays his salary, right? And we got the benefit of it and we just got to enjoy, right? It, it's a huge blessing when we share pastor. I mean, that's what we see uh, Paul doing in 2 Corinthians. He sends a preacher to fill the Corinthian pulpit because Paul believed in the Catholicity, the universality of the people of God. So there's a people side of things. There's also a financial side of things. That's what we see in Romans 15. Paul, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So there was a famine in Jerusalem and Paul's going around getting money from all these Greek churches who have nothing to do with the church in Jerusalem other than the fact that they sent missionaries out to get the gospel to them, which is a lot to do with them. They're sending money back because there's a famine and the, the saints in Jerusalem are suffering and they're, they're trying to 
care for them. So there is a category for financial sacrifice. Obviously, your primary finances should go towards the Parkway Church. But don't just say, okay, great, I'm generous towards our church, done. If there are ways Parkway as a whole or you individually can give towards the need of the people of God around the world, it is something we should consider. Uh, Mark Dever, who I think I've already alluded to in this uh, class, uh, pastor in Cap- uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., he kind of has this language I think I would love for us to adopt. Uh, he talks about green dot churches and red dot churches. So a, a red dot church is one that kind of is the end of the line of kingdom resources. So it kind of it hoards kingdom resources for itself. And a green dot church is one that sends out resources, whether that's people, whether that's finances, whether that's books, whatever. A green dot church is one that leans into exporting its resources for the gain of the kingdom. And my prayer is that Parkway would be a green dot church, that we would not say, we have these things, let's hoard them. But we would say, we have these things, how can we bless the kingdom of God around the world? That should be our goal, to bless the capital C church with whatever we have, people, money, resources, time, whatever it is, because the work of the kingdom is far grander and far more glorious than any little thing that we've got going on here. All right, let me pray. I'll give away two books, and then we'll have some time for Q&A. Father, we pray that we would not look at the blessings that you give us as uh, just ends, or things that should end here at Parkway, but things that should be leveraged for the kingdom of God around McKinney, around Dallas, and around the world for the sake of your name, Father. We ask that you would stir in our hearts a a kingdom-mindedness where we would joyfully make sacrifices, we would joyfully make decisions, we would joyfully centralize the gospel and not give in to competition or tribalism, uh, but that we would delight in declaring your name to the world through our unity with churches around the world. Uh, we We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.